we're going to continue his series on the conflicts of Christmas. And we all know, it, it is no secret that the Christmas season often creates a lot of conflict between the spiritual and the material. Do you ever feel that? Um, we know what we should be thinking, right? I mean, it's, we know what the season is about. We say it all the time, you know, the reason for the season. And, and we know what we should be thinking about. We know we should be thinking about God's wonderful gift by sending his son. And we know that we should be performing all these unselfish deeds, you know, and helping others. But the truth is our focus sometimes gets diverted on the world. And sometimes our focus gets diverted on even personal things and personal gain and material pursuits. They say that the two most hectic shopping days of, of the year are the day after Thanksgiving when the Christmas shopping is supposed to, supposed to start, right? And then the day after Christmas when everybody's returning all that stuff that they didn't really uh, need or want or wanted something different anyway. And so if we think about it, sometimes our focus really isn't on Christ very much. At least not as much as it should be. Our focus becomes more on things. And Christmas creates a lot of financial stress as people compete with each other. And, and, and people compare what somebody else got. People overspend and they wind up with sometimes heavy credit card bills. So today I want you, if you brought your Bible, if not you can follow on the screen, but I want you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to go to the second chapter, that, that great chapter of the Christmas story. But we're going to hone in a little bit on the part where the shepherds come into play. Um, and we're going to talk about them being in the field and what that means for us that first Christmas season. Because these shepherds, I think, were faced with a conflict themselves. They were faced with the same conflict that we're talking about. They were faced with the spiritual versus the material. And, and, and my hope this morning is that by re-examining what they had to, to deal with and, and what they went through, uh, that it will help us to focus on what truly is important for this Christmas season. So I want to pick it up with verse 8. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It reads, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So let's stop there just for a second. And let's think about how privileged these shepherds are to get this and receive this message. How privileged they were. I mean, shepherding was a very simple occupation. Shepherding did not require a lot of training they didn't have to go through school and get a degree in order to be a shepherd. I mean, in their day, it was kind of like if you didn't have anything else to do or you couldn't find another job, then maybe you could be a shepherd. You know, today we say there are plenty of jobs out there, but if you can't find one, uh, maybe you could always, you know, flip hamburgers, you know, not making light of that, but that's kind of what we say. Well, in their day, the case would have been if you can't find a job, then just go be a shepherd if you can't do anything else. I mean, the Bible tells us of sh about shepherds time and time again, and, and many people could do it. Even a small boy like David, as is recorded in the Bible, could be a shepherd. There were a lot of them. It's estimated that there was as many as a quarter of a million sheep sacrificed at the temple every Passover season. 
just the Passover season, over a quarter of a million sheep being sacrificed at the altar. And, and, and the reason is that when the Passover time came, every family was commanded, commanded to bring with them an animal, and most of the time it was sheep, to be sacrificed at the altar. And in order to facilitate that, the priests came up with this brain idea of, you know, some of these people got to travel for a ways. <laughs> they they got to bring that sheep with them. Why don't we just start raising them here in the area and then we can sell them a sheep when they get here to the temple. They can just buy one off of us. Ching, ching, right? We'll put that money in our pocket and they'll have their sheep in order to sacrifice at the altar and they don't have to transport one all the way from home. So my point is there were hundreds of thousands of sheep being raised just in the surrounding areas of Jerusalem. And so therefore there were thousands of shepherds there to protect those sheep. Being a shepherd was a very common occupation but it was a very lowly, smelly, unglamorous job as well but however God made the first baby announcement to these shepherds in that field not to impressive kings not to the priests not to the generals in the army but to these night watching men who were working third shift out in the fields and you know, in a way, when you think about it, 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 it's a logical thing that the arrival of the, the humble Lamb of God would first be announced through simple shepherds. I mean, these were the people who cared for these sheep as they were born, knowing that just in about a year later, they too were going to be sacrificed on the altar. And, and the Bible tells us then that suddenly out in the field, the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. And that made me think, remember, remember the scene with Moses when he comes down of Mount Sinai and he'd just been given the Ten Commandments and, and the Bible describes his face as a glow. He had seen God and his face was a glow because he had been in the presence of the glory of God. And these simple shepherds had a similar privilege to the great lawgiver when, when the brightness of God's glory shone around them and the Bible says they were scared. They were terrified. But listen to what the angel tells them in verse 10. It says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now start to think about just how privileged and how honored these shepherds must have felt. I mean, of all the people in Judea, of all the shepherds that are raising all these sheep around Jerusalem, they are the ones who had been selected to receive the first birth announcement. Do you ever stop to think just how spiritually privileged we are? I mean... We get to live in an era where at least we, we at least have the New Testament, right, to go by, to know what happened 
to know the story, to know the gift, to know what Jesus did for us. We, we know that when Christ died on the cross, that he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Think about now with these shepherds, they don't know that yet. They have long been waiting for a Messiah to come. We know that he came back from the grave to prove what he could do. We know that he did it so that we would know that we can have life and have it eternally. We know that he empowers us with the gift of the Holy Spirit. We know that we are saved not by our works but by his grace. But the people who lived before the cross, they were looking forward to these signs and wonders and these things. Before the Messiah, they had no idea. In fact, the Bible says that during those days, the angels longed to look into the mysteries that we now understand and take for granted. We live in the United States of America, and we have the unprecedented freedom to worship and share our faith pretty much freely. I mean, there, there are a lot of, of, of Hindu-dominated countries. There are a lot of Muslim-dominated countries where they can be arrested for teaching what we're doing today, where they could be arrested for sharing the Bible and just talking about it out in public. And, and although we're concerned that some of our freedoms are gradually eroding or, or getting away from us, we're so privileged to live in a nation where we're able to, we're, we're, we can freely worship and evangelize. <clears throat> Many of you in this room are like me. You grew up in a family where your parents <clears throat> took you to church often. Um, usually when the doors were open, you were there. And um, you're privileged enough to, to know that that was just instilled in you along the way. They didn't have that privilege back then. We're, we are privileged to, to be able to live in an era where communication is so available to us. I mean, we have instant access to the best preaching and the best resources that are out there in order to get encouragement and spiritual worth and value through those teachings. And though as privileged as the angels were, they were privileged by, or not the angels, the shepherds, they were privileged by this angel's visit the shepherds still faced a material challenge. Let's pick it up with verse 15. In verse 15 it says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, I love thinking about these stories in the Bible, and I love trying to picture them, and I love trying to just think about how that happened, and maybe what the other conversation uh, that took place. And, and, and I kind of think that they maybe didn't immediately just jump up and go when the angels went back into heaven. I, I, I kind of believe that they were like, wow, what just happened? I mean, we were just visited by an angel. And, and this angel just talked to us, right? Uh, so I don't think they just said, hey, let's go. There's our instructions. Let's go. I think maybe there was some conversation, and one of them might have said, that was incredible. <laughs> That's the most spectacular thing I've ever seen. <laughs> we were just visited by an angel. 
When, when, when that angel first appeared, I thought it was a bolt of lightning. I didn't, I didn't even realize it was an angel. I just thought, you know, we were getting some lightning. And you know what? It scared me to death. It's what scripture tells us, right? They were terrified. One of them might have said something like, you know, I was sleeping. I just thought it was a dream. Like I was dreaming through all this. And another one might have said, you know, I was over there. I had my back turned because I went over there to get a drink of water. And when I turned around, like the trees were kind of in the way. And, and I couldn't see the angel at first. But I saw you guys and your face, your faces, and you were white as a ghost. It was an amazing thing. Most spectacular thing I've ever seen. And then I think maybe after a while, after they've had these conversations and it's going through their minds and they're talking about it several minutes later, then finally one of them says, hey, what are we waiting for? Let's go see this baby that they just told us about, that the angel just described. But then therein lies their problem. That's what created something of a problem because in spite of the excitement, they still had a job to do, right? I mean, in their job description, in their job description, it was probably written, never leave the sheep unattended. We're getting to the material now, right? Never leave the sheep unattended. I mean, that's what they were paid to do. And if they left their post for a little while, there could be a, a wild animal come by and maybe devour some of the sheep. Maybe some rustlers would come by and, and steal some of the sheep. Maybe some of them might even wander away if the shepherd wasn't there overseeing them. I mean, there might be a stampede and the, and, and, and the sheep get spooked. I mean, they're already a little nervous because they saw an angel, right? So they're, they're already a little bit unnerved. But what if the owner dropped by and saw that they weren't at their post? I mean, they could lose their jobs. And they lived paycheck by paycheck. Their, their families were depending on them doing their jobs so that they could bring that paycheck home. And so maybe in their minds, maybe just a, just a little bit, maybe they thought, well, what if we just wait till tomorrow morning when it'll be light, we'll be off duty, the next shift will come in, and we'll go then. I mean, the baby will still be there, right? We'll just go a little bit later. But to be truthful with you, I don't think they struggled with that at all. I don't think that was an issue to them at all because... They had just seen an angel. And the conflict between the spiritual and the material is much more pronounced for us in our lives because most of us have not seen an angel, right? So we live by faith. We live by faith in the unseen. And from the time we're born, to be honest, we are brainwashed in the materialistic ways of life from the very beginning. Our lives are bombarded with advertising that breeds this insatiable desire to have more, to, to possess more, to earn more, 
It even starts back when we, we, we start school, right? I mean, we're told from the very beginning, educators encourage us to, to make good grades so, so that you can get a good job and you can make more money. And you can, I mean, it's just, it's the system that brings us through. Not everything's bad with that. But that's what we are fed in our minds day after day after day. And there are people all around us who are flaunting possessions. And that stimulates the envy and it stimulates the competition. And the Christmas season encourages this crazy impulse to acquire more. To look better in somebody else's eyes. To be put on a pedestal. To show our superiority over other families. I've heard it said recently in the last couple of years that the average two-parent family charges approximately $2,000 on credit cards every Christmas. One father said that his greatest difficulty at Christmas was convincing his kids that he was Santa Claus and convincing his wife that he wasn't. Because there's this constant battle waging for control in our minds. When truthfully, deep down in our hearts, we know that we can't buy happiness. We know that a salary doesn't measure success. And we know that relationships are more important than things. But yet we get sucked in. We get drawn in. And even though we know those things are true, the current of the world carries us along. And the world seems to squeeze us into this thinking. There's a a well-known painting that first appeared in the Saturday Evening Post. You probably have seen it, but it's a painting that shows a woman who is buying a turkey for the holidays. And as she's making her purchase, both she and the butcher are looking at the scales that's weighing the turkey... That's going to determine how much she's paying for the turkey. And and, and while that's taking place, she doesn't see, on the other side of the counter, she doesn't see that the butcher is gently pushing down, using his thumb and pushing down on the scale to make it appear to be a little bit heavier. And he doesn't see her on the other side of the counter with her finger pushing up on the scale to make it cheaper, and they both have this smile on their face like they're getting the, the best of the other one. And, and we get so caught up in the world's thinking that we begin to connive and we begin to maneuver and we begin to, to uh, have envy in our lives for, for the things that other people have. And all the time we have this innocent smile on our face like we're really getting the upper hand on somebody. And yet the Lord keeps reminding us time and time again that the world doesn't matter a hill of beans in the big picture, at least compared to the unsearchable riches of Christ and what he holds in our lives. Because all through the Bible we're told, don't crave riches. Don't lay up treasures on earth. Don't be envious of the rich. Jesus said this, watch out, be on your guard against all kind of greed because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. You know, when you realize that life is so precious, things don't seem to matter as much as relationships do. 
Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What's the profit if you gain these things and you don't have relationships that matter to you? Well, these shepherds sensed that there was something more important than their sheep. And so they made a wise decision. In verse 16, it reads this. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I I think that the shepherd's actions should teach us some helpful lessons here. Uh, Some things that they did I think we would do well to emulate in our lives. Especially in our battle against materialism. The first one is this. They made a definite choice to to pursue the spiritual above anything else. Above all else. They made that choice to pursue the spiritual. And although they probably had some conversations, they didn't deliberate for hours and hours and miss out on the opportunity. Because the Bible tells us that same night they took action. I think there are a lot of people sitting in churches everywhere, even this morning, who have never really made a decision as to what they want. I think they're dabbling in both worlds. And they have a foot in one world and a foot in the spiritual and a foot in the, in the material. And Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he added this. You can't serve God and money. You've got to make a choice as to which one's going to be be your God. I heard a story about one indecisive man who went to see a counselor. And the counselor asked him, would you rather be poor and happy or rich and miserable? And he thought about it for a moment and he said, I think I'd rather be semi-rich and slightly moody. (laughs) And that's what we do. We we try to have a foot in both of the scenarios and try to live out both of the scenarios. And I think the first step to overcoming materialism is to decide to overcome materialism. Joshua told the Israelites, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. So the question for you today is, what do you you really want out of life? What do you want? Do you want more things? Do you want more money? Do you want more prestige? Do you want more boats? More cars? Then go after it. If, if that's your heart's desire, then go after it. Go after it with your whole heart. But don't make yourself miserable claiming to be a Christian and coming to worship because Jesus that I know said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. But don't be lukewarm with a foot in both worlds. But on the other hand, if you want to know Jesus... And you want the forgiveness of sins. You want the promise of eternal life. And you want your life to count for something. Especially to count for him. 
then go after that with all your heart. Dive all in. And don't be enamored with things. And don't be envious of people who have more. The second thing I think we can learn from the shepherds is this. They got out of their comfort zone and searched for the Christ child. You know, the angel gave them a clue as to where they, like, direction to head. It's going to kind of be in this area, but he, he didn't really give them a detailed map. And I'm sure you know that they couldn't plug it into their GPS and just find where baby Jesus was, right? So they probably had to get out of their routine of what they were doing. They probably had to stop along the way and, and ask some people some questions to search for the place where baby Jesus was. And I say that because this Christmas season, you might have to get out of your comfort zone. You, you might have to do something a little bit different. You might have to get out of your comfort zone if you really want to intensify your family's focus on Jesus. That doesn't have to be anything extravagant. It may mean that next Sunday, with it being Christmas Eve, it may be that next Sunday you take the opportunity to get your family together and come to our morning worship or to come to our Christmas Eve worship or to come to both. To come to our Christmas Eve service and not stay home and watch how the Grinch stole Christmas. Or it may mean for you that you want your family to sit down and actually read through Luke 2 and that entire Christmas story. And this year you choose to read Luke 2 instead of the night before Christmas. It may mean that you just simply bake a cake and you ice it and you put the candles on it and you light the candles and you gather around the cake and you sing happy birthday to Jesus. Even though that seems a little bit hokey, no one understands that that serves as lifelong reminders to your kids and grandkids about what's truly important. Maybe you get around the tree on Christmas morning and before you start opening all those gifts, you say, hey, let's just stop for a moment and let's say a prayer and thank God not for just these gifts, but let's thank God for the gift. Paul said, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And, and genuine worship should remind us that we've died to this world. We don't need this world. This world's not our home. This world's not going to last. It's going to pass away. We brought nothing into this world. We're taking nothing out of this world. Our affections really are and should be on the things above. But one of the problems that we have is even when we come to worship, we're so preoccupied with things of the world, it's even hard for us to focus sometimes. Our, our, our mind seems to just... Go back to earthly things. Our mind seems to wander in the middle of what's going on. Some of you here today probably, and some of you use your Bible apps, and I think that's great. Some of you here today and still have your phones on just in case you get that text. Just in case you need to check that social media during this hour. I mean, you don't want to miss a call. You don't want to miss a text. Sometimes even we don't turn... It on silence or the ringer off. And like last week, you know, we all of a sudden 
I won't mention any names, but one of our elders had his phone on and his Bible app starts talking to us. And I mean, I, the story of David and Goliath is great, right? Then when he tried to turn it off, it went to his weather app. And I got to thank him because I never really thought about when I preach on David and Goliath to really consider how important it might have been that however strong the wind was on that day, it could have affected how that stone hit the giant. I mean, it could have thrown it off. So, Steve Kennedy, thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. Sometimes during the, the, the message or the worship service, uh, some of you are doodling on a piece of paper. And I know and understand with working with kids that that can be a great thing to doodle. And some people can really still absorb what's going on in the message and everything. But sometimes some of you are doodling just because your mind's wandering or whatever. And you're looking at me like, well, how do you know that? You leave your artwork in the chairs. We pick it up. We know. You're not taking sermon notes. You're writing your Christmas list and checking it twice, right? But here's the deal. I can guarantee you that those shepherds didn't go into that stable. Look at the baby Jesus and then look off to the right and see a sheep and say, hmm, I think that one looks like it's about 140 pounds. 50 cents per pound. That's about a $70 sheep right there. I don't think they did that. I, I don't think they got their sundial out and said, whoa, we've been here about a half an hour. It might be about time for us to head back home. I, I don't think they looked at Mary and, and, and worried about what she was wearing and said, ooh, that polyester, double knit, doesn't go with her coat. Why in the world is she wearing that? No, they were focused on worship. They were focused on a newborn king. They were focused on the Messiah. And they knew that this spectacular moment in their lives was going to change them and transform them forever. Third thing that we can learn from them is they deepened their topic of their conversations. Verse 17 says this, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You know, even on their way back home, I don't think they probably stopped uh, to talk to their friends. And if they did, if they ran into anybody along the way, I doubt at that point in time that they were talking about the weather. I, I doubt that they were talking about the latest sporting event price of wool from their sheep. No, I guarantee you they were talking about a Messiah. They, they couldn't get over the fact that they had seen an angel and the angel had appeared to them. They, they, they couldn't quit talking about that not only had they witnessed an angel and, and the Messiah, they had talked to Mary and Joseph. They had had conversation with the mother and father. They had, they, they had seen all these things and they knew without the shadow of a doubt that their life was never going to be the same. They were changed. And because they were changed, they had to talk about what they had seen and what they had heard. And here's the deal. If you want to get your mind off the things of the world, then occasionally 
maybe we need to have some conversations about the things of the Spirit. I mean, are you going to spend your whole life, every conversation, talking about trivial things? I mean, that doesn't mean that we can't ever talk about our kids and our grandkids and our favorite teams. And all. I'm not saying that. Those things are important in our lives as well. But those things are trivial compared to eternal things. And somewhere along the way, we need to be talking about our salvation in Christ. Somewhere along the way, we need to be talking about the promise of everlasting life in heaven. Somewhere along the way, we need to be talking about Jesus is coming again. And we're preparing for that second coming. Jesus said, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. And when you occasionally turn the discussion to things that feed the soul, I think you'll discover that there's a spiritual hunger that you are satisfying. Then one other thing that I see that the shepherds did for us, and it's this. They returned to their jobs with a different attitude. Verse 20 says this. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. You see, they went back. They went back to, um, to their job as shepherds for the rest of their lives. But here's the deal. They weren't just going through the motions anymore. It, it wasn't just a boring job to them anymore. Again, they'd been visited by an angel and they'd witnessed the Messiah. So they now are ambassadors of hope for the rest of their lives. And, and once you come to know Jesus Christ, you go back to your daily routine a different person. And it may happen instantly, or it may happen over a period of time, but you're changed. And your goal in life is no longer a bigger house. Your goal in life is no longer a more impressive car or another vacation spot. It might happen, but it's not the goal. Why? Because those things just don't matter as much anymore. And you're not envious of those who have them. On the other hand, you're not condescending on those who have less. It's just not that important. Because what really matters is knowing Jesus Christ and honoring him through your words and your behavior. The Apostle Paul wrote something in Philippians 3. And I want to read it to you, but I want to, I want to share it with you through the message version. And I know the message can get a little bit different, but it does help you to understand. So I want to read the, the message paraphrase from Philippians 3. It says this. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is in, insignificant. Dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ 
and be embraced by him. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power. Bob Russell tells a story about a preacher that he knew, a guy by the name of uh, Pastor Wittenhouse. And uh, he and his family were on vacation one time. And as they're traveling down the road, they're going one direction. A vehicle's coming another direction. And the vehicle that was coming toward them lost some luggage from on top of their car. Uh, but they didn't know they had lost it. So they just continued down the road. And um, Pastor Wittenhouse and his family got out and got the luggage. And, and they took it home and, you know, tried to go through enough of it so they could identify maybe who it belonged to and they could get it back to them. Uh, just looking for some identification. And all they could find that really would give them any clue um, for the identity was this $20 gold piece that was inscribed, given to Otis Sampson at his retirement by the Portland Cement Company. Well, after a number of phone calls and a lot of research, finally they ran down Otis Sampson. And they communicated with him and uh, told him that they, they had his luggage and he wrote a note back to him and said that there was nothing in that suitcase that really meant a whole lot or that he wanted with the exception of that $20 gold piece. He called it his most prized possession. And that's what he asked that they would send back to him. And so they did that. But when Pastor Wittenhouse sent it back, he also wrote a cover letter. And in that cover letter, he told Otis Sampson about his most prized possession. Jesus Christ. And exactly a year later, the pastor received a Christmas package. And in that package was that $20 gold piece. And Otis Sampson wrote this. He said, you'll be happy to know we've become active members of a church. And I want you to have this gold piece. I am 74, my wife is 72. You were the first one to tell us about Jesus in a way we understood. Now he is our most prized possession too. Jesus said, if the worship team wants to make their way up, go ahead. Um, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a treasure that a man found in a field. And when he found it, he went and sold everything so he could go buy that field. Maybe today, like the shepherds, maybe today the light has gone on. Maybe today is the day that you understand that the treasure that laid in that manger was of more value than those sheep. And maybe today you've come to the point where you're willing to say, wow, Jesus, you gave your life for me. I want to give mine to you. Maybe you've never done that and today is your day to allow him to be the Lord and Savior your life if that's the case I pray you come up and let us walk you through that process this morning but maybe today you've just been battling with the spiritual versus the material 
you've just magnetically been pulled to the things of this world and you've had a foot in each one of those worlds the material and the spiritual and maybe today you're realizing as you're sitting here this morning that you don't need that in your life maybe today you just need to refocus you've already given your life to Christ but you need to refocus and just know without the shadow of a doubt that from this moment on you're all about the spiritual that you truly know and understand that we just don't go around and saying the reason for the season that we know without the shadow of a doubt that there is nothing more precious there is nothing more valuable than having a relationship with that baby boy who grew to be a man who was willing to go to a cross who was willing to be beaten battered spit at gouged made fun of for your filth and your sins his body was beaten his blood was shed so that you can have forgiveness of all those sins. Maybe you just need to rededicate your life to that. Because there's no better time than the Christmas season. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to pray. We're going to have a song, a hymn, a song of invitation. And if that's you this morning, whether you need to do it right there in your pew, whether you want to come up and allow us to pray with you, but especially if you want to give your life to Christ, come and let us walk you through that and let you be baptized into him today. Let's pray.